We have several people in the congregation right now struggling with some very real and scary challenges. What did we just sing? The night is dark, but I am not forsaken, for by my side, the Savior, he will stay. I will labor on in weakness and rejoicing, for in my need, his power is displayed. Jerry, right? You've seen that before. You just saw that in your son. He is by your side, and in your need, his power is displayed. It's a wonderful, wonderful song. I would encourage you uh, to reflect upon that this week. Uh, If you're on the email list, a link was provided uh, to um, a YouTube version of that song. Um, Get to know it, because we will be singing it um, as we continue um, to grow in in our, our canon of songs. While I invite you to turn in your copies of God's holy and inspired word back to Ecclesiastes, we are going to look once again at Ecclesiastes chapter 8. I hope I didn't give anyone a heart attack last week by actually stopping the sermon early. I know that that was probably a weird experience here. We got through point one, um, so Lord willing, we're going to take up the two points that we didn't get to. I'm going to read all of the passage again, and once again, I'm going to start in 729 and then I'm going to read to 9-1. This is the holy and inspired word of God. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Who is like the wise, and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy upon him. For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun when man had power over man to his hurt. This I saw, the wicked bur- then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. 
Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. There is a vanity that takes place on earth that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity, and I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful." For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the busyness that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun." However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that through your word today that you would make known to us in a fresh way the length and the width and the depth and the height of your love for us in Jesus Christ, for the enabling power that comes through your word and spirit to help us develop and grow in wisdom and to apply that wisdom in a way that leaves us able to be patient as your people, knowing that regardless of the circumstances, we are never in the hands of man, but we are always in yours. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Because of the curse of sin, things are turned upside down. And they will not be turned right side up until Jesus Christ returns. But even this does not get in the way of God accomplishing the desires of his heart. His desires to be a God to a people who perfectly reflect his glory back to him. As we have been talking about in my Sunday school class with the 10 to 14-year-olds, what does God want? God wants relationship. And he is providing that relationship for us in Jesus Christ. The way, though, that God has gone about accomplishing the desires of his heart in this upside-down world is not in the ways that you and I would typically think that God would accomplish his purposes, ultimately accomplishing his purposes through the cross of Christ. 
The wisdom of God ultimately finds its expression in the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The, the cross, which Paul tells us, is a stumbling block. It, the cross, which, which is an offense, because it is not the way you and I would think that victory is going to be achieved. Jesus has accomplished victory by allowing himself to be captured by sinful, wicked people. He allowed himself to be put on trial by unrighteous people. He allowed himself to be mocked and scorned by those whom he made. He allowed himself to be nailed to a cross where your sin and my sin were laid upon him. And as he gave up himself to the Father and cried out, it is finished. In Christ's death, final victory was achieved. Now look, you and I don't think that way. That's not typical for us. This past week, I had one of the greatest privileges and honors of my life. And that was to assist in teaching a class to students and to pastors in India. And we did this via Zoom. I don't like Zoom. <laughs> I still don't like it, but it is a wonderful technology that is being used uh, for great things in the world right now. And I got to sit in front of my computer, and I got to help teach these pastors in India who were in groups of 10 in different locations. And so there were 40 to 50 guys throughout the class. It was amazing. In the class, the, the, um, the missionary that I was assisting went to make a point about what it means for us to be faithful to Christ in a fallen world and how that faithfulness will not always look like we would expect, that it's not always rewarded with blessing, that faithfulness can often be rewarded with sacrifice and with persecution. Now, you and I, we will talk about those things. But let's be honest. It's, it's rather ethereal for us. And so in the discussion, the pastor starts to bring this topic up. I immediately went into American Christian mode where it was like, all right, yes, we have to embrace this because God's word says that this is true. But the missionary said, who has been beaten by the Hindus? And almost every single hand went up. I was assisting in trying to teach men in India who have been beaten for their faith trying to help teach them how to preach the Word of God. 
their raising of their hands taught me more in that one second than what I taught them the whole time. And my response in that moment is the hair on the back of my neck went up, the linebacker came out of me, and I started to get mad. Those, those Hindus, who are they to beat these men who are simply trying to present Jesus Christ? And as soon as that happened, and I felt myself gearing up, then it hit me. This is exactly what Solomon is trying to talk to us about in the book of Ecclesiastes. You see, the world is upside down because of sin. And it's not always going to make sense. And the righteous are not always going to be rewarded in their righteousness. And the wicked, under the sun, are not always going to be rewarded for their wickedness. See, that's how you and I tend to think. If you do right, you get good. If you do bad, you get bad. What Solomon is telling us is that until the curse for sin is lifted, what we're going to see in this life is there are going to be religious people who, are, who look really religious and who get the accolades of, of living the, what appears to be these very spiritual lives, but they're hypocrites. And there are going to be these people who live righteous lives, but they are going to get treated as if they're wicked. And the wicked people are going to get treated as if they are righteous. Does that work you up? It works me up. I don't like when I have to see that. The question is, how do we respond? Because life under the sun is going to have this. How do we respond? What Solomon says is that wisdom the wisdom that can acknowledge, as he said back in chapter 6 and 7, the wisdom that can acknowledge that prosperity is not always good and that adversity is not always bad, the, that wisdom of the cross, that God can take what wicked men intend for wickedness and he can take that and use it for the ultimate good of salvation for his people, that wisdom of the cross where, where we uh, per perceive of, of God's uh, mission in this world, not in the way that we prefer it would look, but in the way it actually looks, if we can embrace that wisdom and learn to exercise that wisdom, he says that our face will reveal that our trust in God makes dealing with the curse, makes that heavy weight of dealing with the curse, it makes it lighter. Wisdom, as we noted at the end of seven, it has its limitations. And its limitations are that you are sinful. Even as a believer, you are still sinful. And so you create a limit 
for wisdom. God made man upright, but we have become schemers. And there are unbelievers who are schemers, and there are believers who are schemers. We will try to figure out how to make sense of life in a way that fits our predisposition, that fits our preferences, that fits the way we think things ought to go. And what Solomon is trying to tell us is don't do that because that will make it even more difficult for you to be able to entrust yourself to God to keep faithfully serving God and leave the results of your service up to God. We are a Reformed church. We believe that the only way someone can come to faith in Christ is if God sovereignly takes the, the preached word and makes it effective. And guess what? His sovereignty doesn't stop there. What makes your service to him, what makes your service to your neighbor effective is God taking that and accomplishing his purposes through it. And guess what? His purposes aren't always going to be blessing. And so we can't expect that if we just serve God, that what our lives will look like around us is, is, is things getting better. And so we are to embrace the limitations of wisdom, but we embrace wisdom because wisdom is a benefit. Wisdom helps you in knowing how to interact with authority, especially authority when that authority has power. And when that authority can use that power to harm people. What does Solomon tell us? Well, our predisposition should be obedience. Our predisposition should be a decorum. It should be a patience. Where we're not quick to depart from the authority. But this patience and this predisposition of obedience is not blind obedience and it's not total allegiance because he says don't be quick to depart. He doesn't say don't ever depart. And so there are going to be times when we have to disagree with authority. But even there, what Solomon says is there is a decorum. There, there, there are manners. There is a patience that should mark even our disagreement with authority. And I said, you see this in the life of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I always want to say Winnebago. <laughs> I think I did say it last week. Yes, every, time. every time. Thanks, Clay. You see these, these guys who were representatives of the royal court who went into a foreign royal court and when they disagreed, they did so patiently. They did so humbly. And in chapter one, that disagreement worked out to their advantage. But as you work through the book, it doesn't ultimately work out for Daniel's advantage because Daniel gets thrown in a lion's den. And the three friends get thrown into a furnace of fire. Sometimes your faithfulness to God is going to result in things changing for the good around you. Sometimes it's going to lead to you being cast into a fire or to a den of lions. 
Either way, it is God who is orchestrating everything that is happening and is empowering you as his people to go through that event, whether it's leading to change or whether it's leading to your harm or if it's leading to you just being marginalized where people don't care about you anymore. Whatever the response, God is taking your witness and he's using it to accomplish his purposes even if it doesn't look like it in the moment. When it comes to dealing with religious hypocrisy, he says there is a patience that is to be exercised that reflects God's patience. Notice that in the text, what he tells us is because God doesn't bring immediate judgment when someone does something wrong, that in the unbeliever, what does that do? It emboldens their disobedience. And, and look, we know this. We, this is a real popular theme in modern movies and television shows, right? Where they love to mock the idea of a sovereign God. God, if you're there and I'm doing something wrong, strike me with, with, uh, with lightning, right? You see this all the time. Because there is this boldness in an unbeliever that because God is not doing something immediately in the moment, that he must not be there or he must not care. Solomon tells us, you need to expect this so that when you're interacting with the unbeliever who is going about their lives as if they are believers, that you don't get so worked up and angry about the hypocrisy that you start joining them in their sin. Now today, when you go home, after you celebrate your dads with good food, right? Read Psalm 73. Psalm 73 provides us this, this existential experience of the psalmist of what living in this kind of world that is described in Ecclesiastes, what that can do to us. And what he says is, I looked around. And I see the wicked prospering. And what does he say? When I saw that, my feet almost slipped. It shook me to my core to the point that I almost fell over. I almost fell down. Because this doesn't fit the way I think the world should work. The wicked shouldn't prosper. But the reality is they do. And the psalmist says... Because he saw this and because he got shaken to his core, he got tempted to join them. And this is true whether you are dealing with the unfairness that exists in church life when there are unbelievers who in their hypocrisy will work their way up into leadership or they'll work their way uh, into a really good reputation and they use that reputation to benefit themselves, and you see it happening, it can get so easy to think, well, if nothing's happening to them, maybe I can utilize those means. Maybe I can join them. But the psalmist says, and what Solomon will ultimately say here, is that when he was tempted to do this, 
he had to remember that the earthly perspective, the perspective of life under the sun, is not the ultimate reality. There is a reality that transcends the sun. A reality that for the nation of Israel was seen in the temple where the transcendent God made himself known through the Shekinah of glory that filled the Holy of Holies, through the sacrificial system that was taking place, that as the animals were burned upon the altar, as the smell and the aroma of the burnt flesh went up, as the smell of the, uh, of the incense created a visual cloud and that you could see and that you could smell that these were manifestations of the presence of God, that there is something beyond the sun that exists, and there is something beyond the sun that is actually working out His will under the sun. So when you see the religious hypocrisy, don't get tempted to join in. When you see unfairness with regards to life, where the wicked prosper and where the righteous suffer. He says, get tempted into joining them according to the ways that it looks like they're prospering. Because what happens to the religious hypocrite? He can't control the spirit. He can't dictate when he dies. He can't control what will happen once the facade of his hypocrisy is ripped away. He will stand before God. And the patience that God has exercised with the sinner up to that point will come to an end. See, when as soon as he leaves from under the sun to go beyond the sun, he now stands in the presence of God. And for the unrighteous person that seems to be uh, prospering in the wickedness, that will not last forever. Notice that he says both of these are vanity. Remember, vanity, vapor, here today, gone tomorrow. Things will not always permanently go on in the hypocrisy or in the unfairness those things will be brought to an end. Until those things come, what Solomon puts before us is the patience of God exercised through the enjoyment of God's gifts. How many times when you see the hypocrisy, when you see the unfairness, do you get so worked up that you can't enjoy God's blessings to you? And yet, that's what Solomon says. Look, this is how things are. They're going to be this way. Fear God and express that fear through the enjoyment of his everyday blessings. Lastly, what he ultimately does is he puts all of this under the mystery of God's sovereign providence. There isn't a way for you and I to know exactly why things are happening, and there is no way for us to know um, the significance of those things unless God reveals it. And what we've already seen in Ecclesiastes is God doesn't reveal everything to us. 
Remember when the planes hit the tower on 9-11 and all the charismatics got on TV saying, well, this is happening because of this or this is happening because of that. Well, guess what? They didn't know. They couldn't know. But what we were called to do in that moment was to entrust ourselves to the one who was providential over the events that were unfolding. Knowing that just as God took the cross of Jesus Christ and used that for his victory, we know that God takes evil and he weaves it into his plan in order for it to be a means by which he accomplishes good. If you are a Lord of the Rings nerd, you will like this. If you read the Silmarillion and you read about how Middle Earth came into existence, one of the fascinating ways that Tolkien describes this creative moment is just like Lewis, or I think Lewis just like Tolkien, right? Lewis uh, in, in the um, Chronicles of Narnia, when he talks about how Narnia was created, it's through Aslan singing. Well, in, in the Lord of the Rings, um, Middle Earth comes into existence because there is this singing that is taking place uh, among God and, and, the, and the angels. But there's one angel that decides that he's going to introduce dissonance into the melody that's being sung. Now, you know who our musicians are, so talk to them afterwards about this. I know enough to use the words. But a note of dissonance, it's one of those notes where you can just tell, bad note. Ooh, that was off. That didn't fit. Well, what Tolkien does is, as this bad angel is continuing to try to introduce dissonance into the melody, God takes the dissonant note and just weaves it into the music that he continues to sing. That is a beautiful presentation of the sovereignty of God to, to exercise his providence even over wickedness in order to use that wickedness to accomplish his purposes. Ultimately, finding that expression in the cross of Jesus Christ. And so, beloved, if you are here today as one who is in Christ, then you know that you will continue to experience wickedness because the curse is still here. You'll see it in religious hypocrisy. You'll see it in unjust standards that take place out in the world. But know that God is in control of your life even over those things, even as he used the cross of Jesus Christ to accomplish your salvation. And that providence of God, as described in question and answer 27 in the Heidelberg Catechism, says this, God's providence is his almighty and ever-present power, whereby, as with his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things come to us, not by chance, but by his fatherly 
hand. And what that means if you're here as someone who is not a believer is that God sees your hypocrisy. And you're going to have to stand before him as one who will rip away that cloak of deception that you have been using with other people under the sun. And he is going to expose the lies and the deception. He's going to expose the hypocrisy. Because he is the one that's even facilitating your hypocrisy right now as he gives you breath to continue to breathe where he is holding you up even in your sin right now. The difference is a time will come where he will no longer prop you up. And so, beloved, for you, if you're here today as a believer, know that even though it seems at times as if we're in the that we are in the hands of men and we live at the expense of, of the way they use their hands for evil. Know that in God's providence, everything, even the hands of wicked men, are in the hands of God. And rest in the providence and sovereignty of your God that is mysterious. And quit trying to figure out stuff that you can't figure out. And quit trying to get answers that there are no answers for you to receive. And just rest in what God has revealed in the cross of Jesus Christ. And trust that, you entrust your soul to that, not just for salvation, but for the peace of living in a world that is still under the curse. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we are limited in our power and that we are limited in our ability and, compa and capacity to know that we're even limited in the exercising of your wisdom. But you have no limits. There is nothing that is standing in your way. And everything that is happening, Lord, where it becomes so easy to be tempted for us to lose confidence in you, where it becomes so easy to lose confidence in your word, where it becomes so easy to utilize our schemes instead of entrusting, your, entrusting ourselves to your plans. Lord, forgive us for the ways that we do this and help us to entrust ourselves all the more to you and to the mystery of your providence because of the revelation that you have made known of that providence in the life and saving work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to entrust ourselves to our King, to give ourselves wholeheartedly to Him, to not be quickly to depart from our Savior, Jesus Christ, but to cling to Him, to cling to that bloody cross that has redeemed us and brought us victory. 
Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.